Well, hey, good morning, everybody. And by the way, Happy New Year. We're, we're, we're a little late, but better late than never. Um, uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so excited that you are here with us. And uh, I'm glad we finally get to gather again in person. You know, shortly after I began dating Shayna, which by the, by the way, I had to really like work at that and wear her down. I think she just felt sorry for me. But anyway, shortly after we started dating, I realized, I think I want to spend the rest of my life with this girl. And I began to look and examine my own life and realize, okay, I'm going to need a lot of help here. So I began to ask some other guys who were married, guys who were much older than me, guys with kids, guys with grandkids, and just try to figure out, okay, what do I need to do to get ready for this? Because I barely had enough money to buy ramen noodles for myself, let alone a wife. I, I certainly didn't have any health insurance. I had a bunch of school loans. My debt was going to be her debt. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I decided I needed to get ready for this. Even though we were like months, maybe even a year out from like even getting engaged, I was starting to think about this. So I went and got a job at UPS. I was in grad school and I, I got a job at UPS because I knew they had good insurance and I knew that I could provide for her that way. I knew that if I worked hard and I became a supervisor, they would provide tuition reimbursement for my school. And if I paid for my classes as I went, I could take that money and put it towards my college debts. And uh, we began to have conversations talking about what it would look like to be married. And we talked about kids and education and discipline. Like We talked about all these different things just because we wanted to be prepared. And I'm sure you've done the same thing. Like if you want to go away on a, a getaway or a vacation, you look at how much money you want to spend or how much money you have and where do you want to go, what do you want to do. And in light of all of that, you begin to plan and prepare. If you have kids, you've prepared and planned for a birthday party, right? Is it just going to be a family gathering with your parents and the in-laws? Are, are your kids going to invite friends? And if so, how many friends? Because a party with two friends versus 20 friends is the difference between chaos and mad chaos. And you begin to plan and prepare, right? But the question is, what about our spiritual life? Do we ever sit down and think about and plan and prepare for our spiritual life? Because Jesus says, one day I'm going to come back. One day I'm going to return. And the question is, will we be ready? And what does it look like to even be ready? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. So if you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, uh, some of the disciples are, are gathered around Jesus and they're asking him lots of questions. They're sitting there and he's talking and they're asking more questions. And they begin to ask, okay, Jesus, what's going to happen in the end times? What's going to happen at the end of the world? And how are we going to know? What does it look like to be ready? And this is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, we have it here on the screen for you. Verse 32, Jesus says this, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. And since you don't know what that time will come, be on guard and stay alert. And, and both of these phrases, 
be on guard, stay alert. Those are, are parallel phrases with there to be to, to gear up for this emphasis, right? You and I, we have to be alert. We have to be on guard. It's this idea of there's danger coming, so be alert. Something big is happening, so stay awake all night. Be prepared. That's the emphasis there that Jesus is getting. And then he tells them an illustration. He says, let me share an illustration for him. Let me paint a really good picture so you can download this, all right? So here's what he says, verse 34. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves or servants instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. Right? You get the picture? Your boss goes away on a long trip, and you have no idea when the boss is going to come back. What do you want to be doing when the boss shows up? Sleeping in the hammock? Passed out cold? Called out sick that day? No show, no call? No, no, no. You want to be like working. You want to be diligent. You want your nose to the grindstone and be like, he's back. Look at everything that I've worked on. I was ready. Right? What happens to the guy who's like asleep in the corner? Passed out. <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? Jesus says, I gave them work to do. And he's talking about all of his disciples, everybody who is a follower of Jesus, everybody who's an apprentice of Jesus. He says, I've given you work to do. There's this huge harvest. Go and make disciples. Go share the good news with people. And he told them, be on watch. Be expectant. Don't fall asleep. Don't misuse your time. Be ready. Be prepared. So what does it look like to be ready? That's what we're going to be talking about. So now jump over to Revelation, the last book in your Bible, okay? If you hit the maps or the concordance, you've gone too far. Revelation chapter 1, uh, John is writing, and he's given a revelation, and he's talking about this is what's going to happen at the very end of the world. Here's the, the plan for the end times, and here's the purpose. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John. So Jesus has given this information to John to just kind of peel back all of what's going on. We're going to uncover what this is a revelation. We're going to reveal everything that you need to know, that I need to know for the end of the world. All of, of that story that's going to finish out, how is it going to play out? And Jesus has given this information to John. It's a revelation from Jesus. John is the one writing it, and he's sharing this. And he's going to send out these letters to these different churches. But before that, Drop down to verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is, still, who is still to come. 
from the seven, sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. So he's writing these letters. There's seven letters to these churches spread out all over Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And he says, look, Jesus is going to come. Not only that, he's going to come and he's going to come with the clouds and everyone in the whole world will see him, which is pretty amazing, right? It's not that one day that he might come or he shall come. No, he's on his way. All of these things are already set in motion. It is happening. We're living in the end times. One day Jesus will come. That is the plan. As to what day or when, what month, what year, I have no idea. But it's pretty interesting that he says he's coming with the clouds. And that's interesting because when Israel was wandering through the wilderness, as they went through the day, they were being led by a cloud. They were being led by the cloud, which is a, the glory of God. When, it, when in Exodus chapter 40, as the tabernacle was rebuilt, a cloud, God's glory, filled that tabernacle. Again, pointing back to God's glory. And now Jesus is coming with the clouds of heaven and every single person will see him. There'll be no mistake. When he came here the first time on earth, a lot of people had no idea he was here. A lot of people who did see him, that did interact with him, didn't really understand that he was the Messiah. All that glory was kind of covered up in that human flesh. Some people interacted with him and they realized he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. But a lot of people didn't get it. But when he comes back, there's going to be no mistake that this is the King of Kings. And listen to how he describes himself in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. The one on earth is an Alpha and an Omega. These are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet, which is kind of a unique illustration, right? Why those? In English, we have 26 letters. Didn't know if you knew that or not. But with all 26 letters, there's almost like endless possibilities of how many words and phrases and sentences and new words and, and new terms and slang that you can come up with to describe things and communicate things. Everything that you need to know to live your life all comes out of those 26 letters. Jesus is saying, I am all the knowledge, all the truth, all that you need to live your life. But not only that, I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning of the alphabet and the end of the alphabet. Everything in between, I'm there. I've got it. But not only that, I'm the beginning and the end. Jesus was literally there at the beginning. He breathed out and spoke creation into existence. 
And he's going to be there all the way in the end. Meaning, I've got a plan for everything. We're, we're certainly not at the beginning. <laughs> we're certainly not at the end. We're close to the end. But somewhere in the middle, and Jesus is saying, I am right here with you. The beginning, the end, I've got a plan. I know everything that's happening. And I am all in that. Working out all of the nitty-gritty details. Everybody can see. I'm holding all this together. But not only that, I'm the almighty one. I'm the one that holds all these pieces together. I am sovereign over every single thing that happens in our world. He's either orchestrating it himself or he's allowing it to happen to play out for different reasons, things that we'll never understand. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm in control. I'm much bigger than everything that's happening in these world events. As we look at what's happening in the Middle East, as we look at what's happening all across the globe, there's all sorts of chaos. And God is saying, I look at that, I see that, none of it surprised me. I'm the Almighty One. I've got this. So no matter what your problems are, no matter what your difficulties are, whether they're financial, whether they're relational, he can lean into all of that. And you can lean into him. And so when we begin to think through what does it look like to live ready, the very first step that John is saying is we need to know who Jesus is. Not just know about Jesus, not just know of Jesus, not just use his name whenever we're mad, but really know him because he wants a deep and meaningful relationship with all of you. If we don't know who Jesus is, if we don't really know him, we're certainly never going to be ready. That's our first step. And so here's um, six descriptions of who Jesus is. He gave those to us. First, he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead and the resurrection. He's the ruler of the kings. He sets us free from our sin. He makes us a kingdom of priests, and he's coming back. He's faithful. He's more faithful to you and I than we are to him. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. He raised himself from the dead. He has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to raise you and I. He's the ruler of the kings. There is, there is no one more powerful than him, and he sets us free. He came to deliver you and me from our sin, from our pain, from all of that agony. And this is amazing. I don't know if you really understand this, but the fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a priest or priestess, okay, ladies? And uh, what that means is you have access to God. You don't need to go through a priest. You don't need to go through a pastor to access God. You have full access to the creator of the universe, and he cares about you. One day, he is coming back. And so Jesus created the world. He created you, and he wants you and I to be ready. So let's drop down to Revelation chapter 3 because he's written a letter to seven churches, and we're going to look at one, all right? Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. He says, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea, this is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. 
So there's a lot of background information that you need to know when we talk about this church in, in Laodicea. And one of the things that you need to know is it was an incredibly wealthy area. I mean, this place was self-sufficient. They had everything set up for them. It was a place that stood out. It was prosperous and wealthy, lots of affluent people there. And take a look at what he says in verse 15. I know all the things that you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, verse 16. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, literally vomit you out of my mouth. Here's something you need to know about Laodicea. It's in modern-day Turkey, all right? So this is where Laodicea is in Turkey. Zoom in a little bit. And it sits really close to these two cities. Hierapolis, I put that in hot pink because there's some hot springs there. And uh, so just think of like, <laughs> you'll remember that and you'll thank me later. And then Colossae, put that in light blue because that's cool springs, all right? That's really important because Laodicea didn't have their own water source. And so they needed to pipe water in with aqueducts and, and pipes and such. And they didn't have hot water in their little jacuzzi town here, so they had to pipe in the hot water. However, when you piped in that hot water and it got to Laodicea, it was no longer hot. It was warm. And who wants warm, lukewarm coffee? Nobody. Cold water, you pipe in the cold water. By the time it gets there for your cold drink, it's no longer cool. It's warm. Again, no good, okay? So you can't have a hot bath. You can't have hot soup. Lukewarm soup. You can't have hot coffee. It's lukewarm. It's nasty. Take it back. You can't have cool water on those 100-degree days. It's lukewarm. It doesn't taste good. Not only that, their pipes were just filled with all sorts of minerals. And so their water not only was lukewarm, it was disgusting because it tasted like all those minerals. And Jesus says, that's how you are. It's not wrong to be hot, right? right? Hot water is good. It serves a great purpose. So does cool water. That's a great thing too. But Jesus is saying, you're neither hot nor cold. You're this nasty, lukewarm stuff. I just want to spit you out. He says, you think you've got it all going on, right? Because you're rich, you're wealthy, but you're not. You have missed it. You're like this undrinkable water. I would rather just vomit you out of my mouth. But take a look at what he says in verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Oh, thanks, Jesus. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. The second thing you need to know is this was uh, not only an affluent area, but a banking area. And they had a ridiculous amount of money. And uh, there was actually an earthquake in 60 AD. It just devastated the town. And the emperor Nero offered financial assistance. And Laodicea was so wealthy, they said, we don't need your money. Your money's no good here. 
we got it taken care of. Like how wealthy, how rich does your town need to be to be like, I don't need your government assistance. That's Laodicea. And they were so wealthy that Jesus looks at them and says, oh, you think you're self-sufficient, but you've missed it. You're relying on all of these things that you have, all of these resources, all of this wealth, your job, your banking, your businesses, but you've missed it. The other thing that was going on in Laodicea was there was a medical school that had been developed there and people came all over Turkey to visit this medical school and they had invented this ointment for your eyes that if you were having eye trouble, you could go to Laodicea and get this eye ointment. It would fix your eyes. And Jesus says, oh, you've got your wealth, you've got your money, you've got your, your eye ointment. Ooh. Like, but here's the thing. You're blind. You can't see. Buy some gold from me because your wealth isn't going to get you anywhere eternally. Your medical remedies, your eye ointments, it's not really helping you because you are spiritually blind. But not only that, he says, look, there's some other things going on. There was the major businesses in this area and they were, they were dyeing wool. They had uh, a unique ability to create this black dye and people all over Asia were coming for this really impressive black dye. And Jesus says, you should buy clothes from me. I want to give you white garments to make you white as snow. Let me change your life because you think you've got it all going on. You think you've got money. You think you've got medicine. You think you've got black wool, big whoop, but you have missed it. Totally missed everything. You're not ready. I just want to spit you out of my mouth. So let me ask you this. What is it that you depend on more than God? Because you and I aren't that different. You've got a job. You've got a way of bringing income in. Maybe you've got family to help you out when things go sideways. You've got health insurance. Maybe you've even got a retirement plan or a 401k, and and you're set. You've got your health. You've got your strength. If you don't have a whole lot of strength, you've certainly got a lot of grit in our area, and we just decide, you know what? I'll just gut it out. I'll push through this. But what are you and I really depending on instead of Jesus? But notice what he says in verse 19. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and... I knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who hears, to, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is saying to this church, not to an individual, but to a church that was lukewarm. And he's saying, look, I'm knocking on this door. Now, either this church was filled with people who just didn't really care about Jesus. It was a social club with their black wool and pickleball club or whatever. They, just, they were just hanging out with each other, right? And he's saying, look, it's time to wake up. It's time to go all in for Jesus because they weren't really following him. 
Maybe it was a bunch of people who just didn't really understand the gospel. They put all their dependence on their wealth and medicine. Or it was a church with some believers, but still they just weren't really all in for Jesus. And he's saying, look, I'm talking to this church of Laodicea. I'm knocking. If you let me in, I will radically transform your lives. I want you to be ready. What does it look like? First, being ready means to know who Jesus is. But second, it's about obeying what Jesus says. Not just being a hearer of the word, but taking everything that he says and going, okay, I'm going to implement this and apply it to my life. That's what it means. So here's the big idea. When you and I, when we consistently neglect the spirit of God and the message of God, your passion for the things will decrease. That's what happened in this church of Laodicea. They'd heard the word of God, but they weren't really doing it. They weren't living it out. They weren't letting God's word change their life. And all of their passion started to decrease. So what? Here's the application. A couple questions to think through. One, what comforts keep you from being fired up for God? What is it? What is it in this world that you are depending on instead of God? Number two, what pursuits distract you from pursuing others for Christ? What is it that's going on in your life that they're not necessarily bad things, they very well might be good things, but they're distractions right now. It's not wrong to have a job, it's not wrong to have wealth, it's not wrong to have a retirement plan, it's not wrong to have any of those things. Those are wise things to have in place. But if I trust in those things more than I trust God, then I've shifted my entire allegiance. Lastly, I know, you know, we talked about seven churches and we only hit one. Uh, We put together a seven-day devotional that's going to hit on each of these seven churches. You can grab one of these at our Welcome Center. However, we also have a church app. So I don't know if you knew that, but you can go on our church app and it's just a Bridgewater app. Open that app up and then scroll down and boom, seven churches, got them, right? Or you can scan this QR code. But we created this just to be a resource for you. If you already have a reading plan, if you already got something you're doing, awesome. I'm not trying to discourage you from that at all, but if you're like, hey, it's the new, new year, I'm trying to start this new habit, I'm not really sure, or I want to go deeper, grab this. And these are one of those things that you can do in 10 minutes, or you can spend an hour. It depends on what kind of time you have. You can modify it and scale it to your own liking. And here's the thing. As we begin to shift gears towards communion, I want to remind you of what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. As we take our next steps, as we prepare, I want that to be the theme as you go forward. Let God search you and know you. Because when Paul is writing to this church in Corinthians, which was, by the way was a pretty messed up church, he gives them some instructions along those lines. 
He says, as you get ready for communion, you should examine yourself. You should carve out a little bit of time and go, okay, what's going on in my heart? Are my motives right? Are my thoughts right? Are my actions right? Am I right with God? Am I right with other people? Because he's writing to individuals who are followers of Christ, and that's who communion is for. It's for those who have made Jesus their leader of their life and forgive their sins. If you've not done that, feel free to sit back and watch and listen. And if you're here this morning, you're not sure if you're right with God or you're right with others, feel free to sit back and not participate. That's okay. No one will judge you. Here's what Paul says in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. Before we take communion, I want to give you an opportunity to sit back and examine yourself. And here's why. Because Paul says, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. If we take communion and we take it lightly, we just take it willy-nilly, we don't really carve out some time to think and examine our thoughts, our attitudes, our motives, our heart. We're doing ourselves a, a big injustice. As a pastor, there's been times in my life where I have not taken communion because I know I wasn't right with God or I wasn't right with somebody else. And so never feel obligated to just take it because that's what we do. It's a big deal. And so I'm just going to give you 30 seconds to a minute just to think, pray, close your eyes, and just examine your own heart. Even if you took one of those cups, you don't have to take it. Just give you some time. Verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now the bread symbolizes the, the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross for your sins and mine. And this juice symbolizes his blood that was shed for you and for me. The blood that covers all of our sin, that makes us white as snow. And here's what he says in verse 25. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, you have challenged us and called us to live our lives in a way that would be ready for your return. We know that you could actually come back at any moment. And we want to be ready not just looking ready, not just looking good, not just doing the right things, but we really want our hearts 
prepared and ready. And so as we get prepared to sing this next song, I just ask that you would draw us close to yourself. As we get ready to go home and go about our days, would you help us to fix our eyes on who Jesus is? And if we don't really know who you are, if we don't really know you, would you make that obvious, make that evident to us so that we may be able to get those things in order? And if we've not been relying on you, we've been depending on other things, would you help us to, to shift that dependence, shift that allegiance towards you? Let us not just hear what you say, but really put it into practice and be doers of your word. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.